Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Welcome into the second edition of The Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. I am Austin Norman. You normally hear me during On the Block uh, with Strick and myself. It's from 2 to 4 Central Time here on 93.7 The Ticket. Uh, the Corner 3, for those of you just tuning in, maybe not knowing uh, what this is, it's a college basketball show, straight up a college basketball show. Again, during On the Block, uh, Strick and I get into a lot of Big Ten, a lot of Huskers, uh, so that's your your one-stop shop for any insight on that front. But this is a, a more more general, a broader look at, at college basketball, what's going on across the country. Uh, different teams, because again, I am a, a Duke fan that is well noted here on, uh, on these airwaves and during On the Block. So it's a chance for me to take you guys around uh, college basketball, get, uh, get eyes and ears on different programs other than just the ones here. And again, 402-464-5685, the numbers for you to get into the show. If you have a college basketball team that you have questions on, I won't promise to have all the answers, at least not yet, but the odds are at least decent. I know someone that has an answer or we can do it together. We can uh, figure out what we need to about your team. But again, I got to know the teams that you're interested in. It's okay to have a second team. I promise it is. Nebraska's not mad at you for having another team. I get it. A lot of us are, you know, in Nebraska. I I was born and raised here in Lincoln myself, and yet another team got a hold of hold of me. So it's okay if that's you too. In fact, I want that to be you. I want that to be your engagement with this program. So again, 402-464-5685 if you have any thoughts. What are we getting to today on the corner three? Uh, for the next 10 minutes or so, I'll go over a couple big transfers in the world of college basketball. Arthur Kaluma and Grant Nelson um, announced their transfer destinations recently. And Kelvin Sampson down at Houston, he has a new contract. We'll go over what that means for him uh, for the Cougs as they transition to uh, the Big 12. Uh, coming up at about 8.15, 8.20 or so, I welcome Matt and Landon back. They're kind enough to uh, give up another Monday night to join me here on the Corner 3. Again, as we said last week, Matt's a Kentucky fan. Landon's an Oklahoma State fan. And those are programs with a bunch of questions, a bunch of interesting uh, decisions made over the offseason, a bunch of interesting decisions not made in some cases. So I want their thoughts, again, kind of the the inside outsiders or the outside insiders to some degree uh, about their programs. I'll get three thoughts on their teams from each of them. Then we'll wrap up the show uh, with some Simeon Wilcher news. Uh, What do we make of what's gone down in that realm? And again, on Twitter, you might have seen this a couple days ago. Maybe it's just yesterday. Time kind of runs together. But John Stockton and Jay Wright look so similar to me. They don't dress the same. I get that. Jay Wright, you know, has the reputation of being so dapper and dandy. Uh, John Stockton, very much not so. But just just go to my Twitter at Austin underscore Orman. Look at their faces and tell me you don't see at least some similarity. Again, I'm not saying they're, they're brothers. They're not identical twins or anything. But John Stockton and and Jay Wright could be siblings. That's my take on the matter. Okay, again, 402-464-5685 if you have any thoughts throughout the show. Let's get to the transfer news. The first one, a little bit closer to home, was Arthur Kaluma. Uh, He announced he was transferring out of Creighton. Uh, He did go through the NBA draft process. There's maybe uh, some thought 
that he would keep his his name in the draft, but that faded away pretty quickly. Uh, decided to head back to school, but not to Creighton. And I think Creighton was at least somewhat prepared for that. I think they were still disappointed up in Omaha, but it was always on the table that he would enter the NBA draft and not return to school. Um, at Creighton, played in uh, 68 career games, averaged 11 points and five and a half rebounds a game, assist and a half as well. Now the greatest shooting percentages, 43% overall, 29% from three, uh, 71% for his career from the free throw line. Definitely a versatile piece, though, for Coach McDermott and his squad the last couple of years at 6'7", 220. Uh, not that anyone at Creighton has ever been confused for a good defender, either on or off ball. Maybe Ryan Kalkbrenner, but uh, he's probably just tall more so than anything. But Arthur Kaluma, a very versatile piece for Greg McDermott. Uh, in the transfer portal, picked his destination, and he picks Kansas State. That's right. Arthur Kaluma headed from Omaha to the Little Apple. Um, some places had him as the, the highest-ranked player still available. Uh, Kansas State was his first visit. He visited there on uh, Friday. Didn't even end up making his visits to Lexington or to Tuscaloosa to visit Kentucky and Alabama. I, I like this for Kansas State. I don't think he's nearly as natural or as good a scorer as Keontae Johnson. Of course, Keontae Johnson was older uh, than Arthur Kaluma is. But thinking of the, the role that Keontae Johnson played for them, he got a lot of headlines. He got a lot of attention as a good three-level scorer. And we're not going to revisit the Nebraska aspect of Keontae Johnson. We get it. It happened. It's over with. But getting a guy to step into Keontae Johnson's shoes. It'll take a step from Kaluma to make sure that he's actually able to fill that void and not just be, you know, another guy there because what Keontae Johnson did again from all three levels as a driver, you know, his stop and pop game, and even his shooting improved uh, from where it was at his time at Florida. Uh, I think Arthur Kaluma is a fantastic get for Jerome Tang. It's going to be hard to follow up that first year. Uh, what coach Tang did down in Manhattan again, Kansas State was picked to finish last in the Big 12, and they had a, one of the, the all-time great seasons in Kansas State history. The other interesting piece about Kansas State, then, is how do Kaluma and new transfer point guard Tyler Perry blend together? Marquise Knoll also gone after that great run last year. Uh, Tyler Perry has some experience with uh, the Big 12, played against a handful of teams in his time at North Texas. I just... It'll be hard for me to imagine Kaluma and Perry stepping up into a you know one for one replacement in those two positions for uh, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Knoll. But if you're going to look to replace those guys, I think you got two pretty good fits. Is what you did. Um, Kaluma again needs to iron out the shot a little bit. Tyler Perry comes from a defense first, second, and third uh, program down at North Texas. But I think Jerome Tang did a good job in surveying the transfer portal uh, before his first season in charge, right after he got hired, of course, uh, finding the right pieces to make it work and fit. And again, going to be a tough act to follow. The way they uh, you know, made their run last year, the way they jumped and burst on the scene. And it makes Nebraska's loss to Kansas State look not nearly as bad. Um, Kansas State, one of the big, biggest, best surprises of last season. They get Arthur Kaluma to fill the Keontae Johnson void. The other transfer news of the day comes from uh, North Dakota State. At least that's where uh, this player was before. Grant Nelson, 
um, was a center for them. He's six eleven. Listed as a forward, he'll he'll play a lot of center. He did it in North Dakota State. Averaged eighteen points, nine boards a game last season. He is either committed or expected to commit shortly to Alabama. Yeah, from Fargo, North Dakota to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Six eleven. Grant Nelson taking his talents uh, down to the SEC. Fascinated to see how that works out for Alabama. Uh, Grant Nelson shoots 50% from the floor, uh, 72% from the free throw line, pretty good touch for a big guy, and 31% from three. The fit at Alabama is interesting to me because we know what Nate Oates likes to do. He likes to spread the floor. He likes to play five out. It's threes and layups, threes and layups, threes and layups. That's really what Alabama's system has been. Grant Nelson, you know, for a big guy to shoot in three seasons at North Dakota State, uh, to shoot 69 of 225 from long range. He made 16 threes uh, as a freshman, 28 two seasons ago, and then 20, went 25 of 93 from beyond the arc uh, just a season ago. I'm sure that's going to be a part of his game that Nate Oates will want to tap into, but what we haven't seen from Alabama in, in a long time is a, a defer, defense first kind of rim running big man, and that I think can get them some easy looks. Alabama wasn't huge. They had a stable of wings, but never had a big guy. I think Grant Nelson is athletic enough to survive in the SEC. He's long enough to maybe make up if there are any deficiencies. The question becomes, is he willing to buy into that defense first uh, rim runner type of role to you know feed off of alley-oops to, to fill that void in the Alabama offense? Or did he go there to, to round out his game a little bit? Does he want to be featured more on offense? Fascinated to see how that works with Alabama. Um, of course, being led by Nate Oates, uh, Javon Quinterly is there, as is Latrell Wrightsell Jr. There's another Nebraska connection. Nebraska was definitely further in on Latrell Wrightsell Jr. than it ever was on Grant Nelson. I like the Wrightsell pickup for Alabama uh, coming from the Big West Conference. I think he's going to be a great piece for them, and I'm curious to see how his skills fit there. Um, of course, Strick, who I do on the block with, uh, has connections to the Wrightsell family. He's sold on him thinks he's a really good player would have been nice for uh, Nebraska to get one more uh, lead guard type a scoring guard especially out of the transfer portal and um, let's let's actually go there next for a quick little update on uh, Nebraska there was uh, some talk uh, probably about a week week and a half ago of Mike Shreveyamps uh, who was a an all-freshman team performer uh, at Dayton uh, Mongolian Mike, his nickname, um, had interest in Nebraska. He got down to uh, Nebraska, San Francisco, and one other place. I want to say it was Memphis that was on his list um, of places to transfer to. A couple days ago, he did decide to take his talents all the way out west. He's going to San Francisco, again, on the, on the all-freshman team uh, for the A-10 at Dayton. Uh, he's headed to San Francisco. So that would have been... Uh, a pickup that I think would have fit well on the wing, but all reports indicate that uh, Mongolian Mike wanted to, to handle the ball, to play some point guard. And there's not a whole lot of room for that on Nebraska's roster. I think Ramel Lloyd is a little junior, of course, uh, is a little bouncier uh, than Mongolian Mike would have been. I think he has a better handle and has played more point, but I think San Francisco is going to give him that opportunity. So uh, yeah, Nebraska didn't get him. I wouldn't say it's a crippling miss for the Huskers in any way. Um, so the roster you see seems and feels like it's the roster you're going to get come fall. Of course, with the, the day and age of college basketball, you can never necessarily bank on that for sure. 
But if you ask me, my guess is uh, if you go to Huskers.com, pull up the roster, what you see there will be the group that, that takes the floor for the Huskers this fall. All right, next segment. We're talking some more national headlines. We got some thoughts on Kentucky, and we got some thoughts on Oklahoma State. We'll welcome in Matt and Landon after this break to break their teams down. This is the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Rolling right along here on the corner three. A couple friendly, familiar faces back on screen in Matt and Landon. Gentlemen, thanks again for joining the show. Um, let's start in the SEC. Matt, I just talked about the Grant Nelson transfer a little bit. Quick thoughts on what that means for Alabama. I'm fascinated to see how that goes. But first off, I just want to subvert for just a second. Landon, are you wearing a Fiesta Bowl shirt right now? Indeed, I am. I had to uh, make sure I was representing today here with a little uh, 2021, two, can't remember. It was like January 2nd, Festival Champions. So had to make sure I was representing. Hey, Came I on it so much. <laughs> so I, I feel like that's on brand. Very, very much so. <laughs> All right. So my thoughts on Grant Nelson. I've been a little bullish on Alabama just this whole offseason uh, going into really just started with their recruiting class. I was kind of skeptical. I mean, there are two teams that were like a one and a two seed both had, you know, McDonald's all American top 15, if not top 10 level players, you know, with Josh Primo and, uh, and Mark Sears for that matter in 2021. And then with Brandon Miller this last year Uh, and this year, they don't really have that recruiting class coming in, but with Nelson, you've got the potential for someone that, you know, if it's a big leap going from uh, from the summit to the SEC, but if he uh, if he fits in, and I would trust Nate Oates to use someone with his offensive skill set. I mean, that's a fun combo just to see what happens. And then you also have like you've got some you got a returning guard in Javon Quinterly. You add Latrell Wright. So as we said, I mean the the pieces are there for them too, like compete for another sec championship, but I still don't think this, they have enough to like to make them the all out favorites for the sec quite yet. Landon, same thing to you about uh, Kaluma to Kansas state as the Keontae Johnson replacement. Yeah. Uh, I sort of had like PTSD when you said the name Tyler Perry, because that just brought me back to a very dark yeah, play. Watching the NIT semifinals at Gallagher. I have a God that stunk. Um, Kaluma is interesting. It's a guy that certainly has experience and you know, it's, it's, it's quite funny how Jerome Tang has sort of constructed this roster at Kansas state, because I mean, credit to him, he saw, you know, how successful last year was with your undersized point guard that can shoot and really play make with an Uber athletic big man, not necessarily an archetypal one, but one that can do it all, stretch the floor, knock down some threes, drive cut to the basket and operate in the pick and roll. And, you know, what they had with Johnson and Noel was so special last year. It's quite possible that that can definitely get, you know, recreated with Keontae Johnson and Arthur Kaluma. You touched on it, Austin, too, but Keontae Johnson wasn't necessarily the greatest knockdown shooter in the world either. He made shots when it counts, but he had some stretches throughout the year where he was relatively cold from behind the arc so developing the jump shot is going to be a crucial thing for Kaluma at Kansas State but 
not necessarily a huge deal uh, if that takes a little bit longer to come along. But his athleticism is certainly going to be uh, a welcome sight for that Kansas State team in what should be a crazy, crazy Big 12 next year. It always is. I don't think there's any question anymore that the Big 12 is the deepest basketball conference, especially if the team that you picked, you know, 10th in the Big 12 ends up doing what Kansas State did. Oh, and then you add Houston and Kelvin Sampson into that mix. Then a UCF that's been spicy here and there. Cincinnati that I don't know exactly what they are, but has some history. And BYU with what Mark Pope is doing, the Omaha guy. But let's stick in the Big 12, Landon. We'll go to the SEC uh, next, but... What's your first thought on Oklahoma State men's basketball from the offseason? Yeah, this is actually kind of cheating, but it's what you referred to. It's where Oklahoma State fits in this new, crazy, jumbled Big 12 that will only be this way for one year, unfortunately. Uh, So it'll be the only year of a 14-team Big 12 for now. Uh, You know, who knows whether or not that'll be the case again in the future with realignment, but This year is shaping up to be the most interesting uh, in a long time entering the Big 12. You touched on it, um, but Houston, of course, is coming off a fantastic year where injuries let them down a little bit, um, but you still have a team that was a top four national seed, uh, a program with a history of massive success under Kelvin Sampson. You bring in a team like BYU that's always a power in the West Coast Conference, a very, very good home court environment a dangerous squad, Uh, Cincinnati, who's another mid-major school with a ton of history uh, and tradition at that level, and then UCF, which, you know, you're saying something that UCF is the team that sort of is the afterthought there, Uh, but all four uh, four of those teams round out a conference in which all 14 teams, right now anyways, on my favorite website, barttorvik.com, are projected to be top 90th or better nationally. So you've got 14 top 90 teams in one conference, so... Again, no easy nights. No, <laughs> um, So that's going to be difficult. And to where this fits in with Oklahoma State, there are some interesting circumstances that have been at play with the program over the last couple of years, mainly an NCAA investigation that has had some scholarships. But even with that, Oklahoma State has had just one winning season in the Big 12 under Mike Boynton, and that was when – uh, Cade Cunningham was there and, you know, even then Oklahoma state, I think was only a couple of games above 500 in the conference. I would have to go back and look. It speaks to a, how difficult the big 12 is and B the current, um, hierarchy and power structure running Oklahoma state basketball, being unable to get it done when, you know, the calendar flips to January, February, March, and the games start to matter a little bit more. That season, of course, is Oklahoma State's only winning season in the Big 12 under Mike Boynton, and in a conference that now projects to be extremely more difficult than it was a season ago, uh, the number one storyline for me is, you know, the wins and losses. Where is Oklahoma State going to fit into this jumbled, talented, deep, insanely challenging um, Big 12 hierarchy next year? Matt, from the outside, where do you see Oklahoma State? I am absolutely fascinated about them this upcoming year because, boy, they've had a busy offseason. I mean, they've cleared out a ton of players, some with potential, some I wasn't sure about. And they're kind of going back to what they've been when they're, you know, at their best, which is getting really good recruits and developing them into even better players. So I'm, and they've added some nice transfers too. Isaiah Miranda last week, I thought was a big pickup and he had a lot of hype going into North Carolina state with his redshirt year. I believe he redshirted. Um, 
don't know for sure, but I'm just kind of curious to see how he, he plays on the court. And this is kind of an opportunity because yeah, it's going to be a loaded, loaded big 12 this year, but also there's going to be a slight power vacuum coming up with Texas and Oklahoma when they leave. And that's, I mean, in all like both basketball and football, that's a spot where Oklahoma state could really step up and become like a premier, you know, top level big 12 program in multiple sports, kind of like Oklahoma and sometimes Texas have (laughs) done at this point, but in a loaded big 12 year, you've got good players that you can develop. You've got a good amount of returning pieces as well. And then you added some nice transfers. It's a good test to see if Mike Boynton's really up for it. So I'm kind of curious just to see how this, this all unfolds. And I think how they schedule will also be pretty telling if they go a little lighter on the non-con games or if they, if they really load up and try to just boost the schedule for a potential late March or late early March resume, if they need any help there. Yeah. I, I don't want to cut you off if Mike Boynton is one of your points, but is, what do you think? Where, where are you on Mike Boynton after what? Five years, six years now? Yeah. I feel like this is like a mercurial thing for you. <laughs> that's, that's point number two. Firstly, I will say, um, I, the Oklahoma state schedule is interesting to, you know, tie it back here locally. Creighton is going to Gallagher Iba arena this year for, is it the guy? Ga- it's the gag, the Gavit games, correct? Or is that, I the think they still call it that. No. What's the, it's the, is it Big 12 Big Oh, it's, no. It's some, yeah, some it's early non-conference. Big East Big 12 battle. Okay. Yeah, the they don't have a name for it yet. That is, a, that is a silly name. But we do know that Creighton's coming to uh, gallagher with, and with, you know, the amount of uh, hype that's been surrounding them this offseason, that will be a really, really awesome measuring stick. Uh, and the second year in a row that Oklahoma State has a quality Big East team on the schedule. Last year, uh, as you may or may not recall, Oklahoma State went to stores in December and played UConn uh, and actually played them quite well. The The stat came out that UConn uh, only, they won every single you know non-conference game that they played from the non-con to the NCAA tournament by double digits. Uh, the closest of those games was Oklahoma State in December uh, when UConn Bring the banner. Yeah, they should. We should. Um, but yeah, so that that is point number two. And the Mike Boynton dilemma, uh, I guess you can call it, is far and away like the most pressing matter in Oklahoma State. This um, in February last year it was the it was like February 11th, I think. Uh, Oklahoma State had won at Iowa State to improve to 16 and nine overall uh and i think three or four games above 500 in the big 12 uh and since and from that point they closed the year on a free fall so they went from looking like a six or a seven maybe an eight seed uh keep in mind too in addition to only having the one winning big 12 record oklahoma state has also only made the ncaa tournament one time under mike boynton which was also that year uh with Cade cunningham and that could be argued as a failure depending on the lens you view it from. Uh, so you go from probably making the NCAA tournament to completely catapulting and falling out. Uh, the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City was sort of their last gasp. I went to both games. They won an ugly, ugly rock fight against Oklahoma on night one. Didn't really think it was convincing enough to even have a last gasp and then kind of got the doors blown off by a very, very loaded Texas team, which was sort of the dagger. Um, 
towards the end of last year, there was a lot of heat starting to be raised on the seat of Mike Boynton. And Mike Boynton has, Boynton has been in Stillwater for a long time, like Austin mentioned, of, you know, the Big 12 has some legendary coaches, now including Kelvin Sampson. But from the mainstays, your Bill Selfs, your Scott Drews, your Bob Hugginses, all those guys are either at two decades at their respective programs or approaching two decades. Aside from those three guys, the longest tenured coaches in the Big 12 go from those three it's then Jamie Dixon and Mike Boynton. So it's really like we're kind of approaching a critical time here that the results have to start coming. His prowess is as a recruiter is well known. Uh, bringing in a guy like Cade Cunningham really speaks to that and what they have this year and a big reason why probably the administration didn't want to pull the plug after last season is this top 10 recruiting class, which not enough people I feel like are talking about nationally, but it is a top 10 class highlighted by guys like Brandon Garrison, who is McDonald's all American and uh, Eric Daly jr. So the recruiting thing is known. The emphasis on defense is known, but what has frustrated me over the last few years is the lack of in-game adjustments and the consistently poor offensive play. OSU has been below 130th. Uh, it's been 130th or worse in adjusted offensive efficiency over the last two years. Absolutely yeah. gruesome stuff. Uh, and you, he, he's got to figure out a way for that side of the ball to be improved. I mean, it's very, very cut and dry because if that's not improved, you want win games. And if Oklahoma State with this uber-talented nucleus of players can't at least figure out a way to win 20 games, it's sort of hard to see and justify the current direction of the program, if that makes sense. There's been enough of a sample size here that this feels like the group that sort of will be the ride um, or die, depending, you know, that's sort of the, that's sort of the fact of the matter. His tenure is long. There have been s- programs around where Oklahoma State generally is in the Big 12 that have made these coaching changes. This is a very, very, very huge year for Mike Boynton. Then point number three, what's the third biggest headline for the Pokes? Yeah, quickly, it'll be the freshman class. Uh, It's a top 10 group. I mean, I guess the incoming class. It's a top 10 group, as I was mentioning. Brandon Garrison and Eric Daly of that um, class are two guys I'm really, really excited to see. Brandon Garrison is, is more of a typical center i would say but eric daly is more of a wing guy he's huge six listed at six seven two fifteen just a massive individual that's very he's a a three level guy but he can really get to the bucket so i'm excited to see how that crew mixes with some of the transfers that were brought in isaiah miranda was mentioned osu's front court has overgone like a complete overhaul this season with miranda mike marsh who's a center from jacksonville and brandon garrison uh as well as your your guard transfers brought in jarius hicklin who's a three-point guy from north florida and javon small who's a tyler perry ish type sort of player a little taller uh but a guard from east carolina who put up 19-5 a game so it's a lot of new pieces Oklahoma State only returns about like 31 percent of its minutes from a season ago lost a ton of pieces in the transfer portal it's going to be interesting to see how this roster clicks and how quickly Boynton can do that is going to go a long way in determining Oklahoma State season speaking of not returning very many minutes I think Kentucky might be one of the only programs in the country uh, that returns even fewer than that I assume the roster is one of your three bullet points Matt oh yeah uh, but first, I do want to add one more thing that I can't believe no one of us is. I mean, we talk about Oklahoma State a lot, even off the air. And one thing I just realized is that after the Cade Cunningham class in 2020, Mike Boynton signed one high school recruit before this incoming class. Whoa. 
he signed no no high school players in 2021, and then he signed Keon Williams, I believe. Yep, Keon Williams yeah. in last season's class, and he was the only freshman. And he's which, the he's one of the holdovers. Uh, yeah, and he's one of the guys staying too. So yeah, they're, that's they're keeping their one high school guy. So I'm I'm guessing that the NCAA cloud really had a lot to do with that, and that really makes things interesting when it comes to evaluating. Uh, a program and a coach, especially one whose really biggest calling card, I'd say, has been his recruiting ability, and then to not really be able to recruit because of these NCAA issues. Uh, I'm 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 curious to see how that goes with Mike Boynton having freshmen again after just not having freshmen for the last couple of years. Um, so you asked me about Kentucky. Oh boy. Start with bullet point number one. We'll go from there. Bullet point number one is it's toxic right now. Um, (laughs) It is toxic and it's, it's been a miserable time to be a Kentucky fan online. I should say Uh, if you stay offline, it's not as bad, but when you're following every single rumor and every single comment made by national media people, it gets exhausting and it's the second straight off season of just depressing exhaustion because last year, I think last year's off season, honestly might've been worse and had a worst impact on the upcoming season than this one will on next year's upcoming season, just because last year, so much of that team was built around shade and sharp being their best player. And then he decided to just not play college basketball and from the outside of the bench all the time. Yeah. He sat on the bench for half of the 2021 season and watched them lose to St. Peter's and then decided instead of playing another year to go to the NBA, which honestly I thought at the time, Oh, this guy could be like a number one or number two pick in the, this current upcoming draft had he come to Kentucky last year, but seeing all the hype around women Yama and how that's developed in the last year, I think he probably made the right pick by going pro without playing college basketball. But back to the point, it was really just a depressing couple of years. Today was actually the first day that Kentucky's actually added someone this off season. They've, they've whiffed on a few transfers. They haven't gone after that many and they've whiffed on the ones that they have, although it, feels like they didn't really go after them that hard other than like they, they put a full court press on Hunter Dickinson and then they hosted Kashad Johnson as well as San Diego state transfer who ended up at Arizona. But at the end of the day, it is, I think number one, I mean, it is concerning that John Calipari is pretty much playing a team of all freshmen with potentially two sophomores. And those two sophomores on the roster last year, didn't really see the court at all. Uh, Adu Thiero actually did. He, especially down the stretch, he he proved to be when uh, Cason Wallace was going through injuries, he turned into kind of their, when Cason Wallace was going through injuries and then Severe Wheeler was either struggling or also injured. At times, Adu Thiero was their ball handling point guard, even though he's more of a, a wing player. Uh, he's a nice piece, but he's someone that, I mean, Calipari coached his dad. He's someone that is really there to be developed. So he's 
he's not really the the but he still played more than uh Ugano and Yenzo. So it's yeah, not much returning scoring. Let's leave it at that. For sure. Big departure in the middle, Oscar Sheepway. Is that one of your bullet points? Um, I think just the departures as a whole. Some of them are expected, some of them are not. Um, I was kind of surprised that CJ Frederick left. Um, because he's you know, he's from Kentucky, also kind of from Ohio. I, f- I think he played, I think he might be from Ohio, but he played high school ball across the river in Kentucky. Uh, so now he's transferring to Cincinnati. Would have been nice. He's been dealing with crazy injuries uh, the last couple of years. Um, yeah, right before he was about to make his Kentucky debut in the 2021-22 season when they lost to St. Peter's. And that famous game against Duke at the Garden and Coach K's last year, uh, his hamstring just fell off the bone in the layup line, and he missed the entire season because of that. And then this year, like his finger broke and from just a bad pass that hit him in the finger wrong, and he missed uh, a month of SEC play, and then fell on a cameraman like two play two games later, and then ended up playing the rest of the year with broken ribs, which. I mean, Austin, you, I don't know, but I actually don't know if Landon's played basketball, like on a team level. Yeah, more or less. Okay. So you guys know that that would be miserable to try to play through broken ribs. So I was really looking forward to seeing what would happen with him having a, a full season, but him de- him departing hurts. And then Lance Ware is another guy who was, you know, another developmental piece, a good bench role player, kind of their enforcer guy. Uh, teammates with, in high school with DJ Wagner and Aaron Bradshaw, two of the top three recruits that Kentucky's bringing in. So I was kind of surprised to see him leave and go to Villanova, but, and I have no idea why. And then they also lost Damian Collins, uh, whose father tragically passed away at the beginning of this last season. So he's moving a little closer to home at LSU. So, and then, yeah, Jacob Toppin's gone. Oscar Shibwe's gone, which again, Oscar Sheeway, they shouldn't have been even trying to get him back. He's, after all, he's given the program the last two years. Uh, I It was time for him to move on. I mean, he's getting old. He's already in, like, his fourth or fifth year of college. It's time for him to just – I think he's ready to be done with school. So there was just a lot of – and then there's, I guess, number two, if you want to go to my second point. Uh, the Antonio Reeves situation is kind of fascinating. I feel like that ties into number one. Yeah. So no one knows if he, he withdrew from the NBA draft, but the rumors around him are very mercurial, kind of like everything else in the program right now, where some days it's like, oh, he's coming back. And then other days, Jeff Goodman's reporting that he's taking summer classes at Illinois State, which somewhere from the started. Chicago area, why would he go down to the Bloomington Normal area in central Illinois to take summer classes when he could just take them online somewhere. So, but there's like a screenshot of, he still shows up in their directory, which I feel like we should know from all of our recruiting following from both football and basketball, that school directories are not the most solid forms of evidence. So I also get though, that with Antonio Reeves, you want someone that can go on the road and score 37 points at Arkansas in early March and has experience 
you know, playing big minutes. But if you're Antonio Reeves, why would you want to also be on a team where they're bringing in two or three really, really good guards out of high school? One of which, again, DJ Wagner, Cal coached his father, Dewan Wagner. Uh, and then you got Rob Dillingham, who's another very, he's got a lot of hype around him. I just don't know if he's confident that he'll get as much playing time as he should get in his fifth year. So I'm not sure if he'll end up transferring or not, but I'm kind of curious to see how that one plays out. The will he, won't he has been bizarre to follow from a distance. I mean, we haven't heard anything from Antonio Reeves himself this whole time. And it's always been kind of a bizarre situation with him because he did. I mean, he looked really good in their summer games last year down in the Bahamas and then really didn't get much playing time at the beginning of the year. And then once Kentucky really needed offense come, you know, early in SEC play, he stepped up and was a really good player, but he's also not always the best defender. And one thing about John Calipari, well, two things. Number one, he will avoid a zone defense almost at all costs, no matter, no matter what. And number two, if you want to play, you kind of have to, you have to either be automatic shooting the ball or you have to be able to, to guard and be able to switch and guard other people. And he defense is not as strong shoot. He's kind of a smaller, he, he's a smaller lanky guard, kind of not like a Tyler Eulis short guy, but he's just, I don't know. He's not as big as like a case and Wallace type guy. So he, I'm kind of curious if, I mean, does Cal actually want him back? Does he gel with a bunch of freshmen? And that's kind of how I felt about, you know, Hunter Dickinson as well. It would have been nice to add a really good player, but someone with as much personality as him, how is he, who's in what his fourth year of college, how would he have gelled with a team that is almost entirely made up of 18 and 19 year olds? And keep in mind, Ugano and Yenzo, he's going to be a sophomore, but he reclassified last year and basically did a redshirt year. Mm. So it's a very young team. And, but Cal's had those before. Then I think that's kind of my third point is that, it looks bad in this era to not get any transfers, which they haven't done yet. And there's really only one guy, Jordan Brown from Louisiana that they might even kick the tires on. Uh, but at the same time, Cal also hasn't had a recruiting class with three top 10 players since I believe 27, the 2017 year when he had Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo which I think part of that is because, you know, the transfer portals become so popular as an option to build a roster that it's a little easier to sign multiple top 10 guys. So I'm kind of fascinated to see how this, uh, this group of freshmen fares, but because of the lack of transfers, it's kind of like they're building a good team with not much of an insurance policy at this time, because if they, if they lose a couple of these guys to injuries and they've dealt with injuries almost every year, uh, they'll, they might be in some trouble here and might be looking at a season like that 2020, 2021 season where they only won nine games. That did happen. We don't have to talk about it anymore. We've moved on at least generally speaking. Uh, we'll wrap the segment with this, uh, Matt, I'll circle back to you, but Landon, you said 20 wins should happen for Oklahoma state with the talent 
where does that put him in the Big 12? Is that top half? Is that first round buy in the tournament? What do you think 20 wins gets the Pokes? Gosh, I hope it'd be good enough. But now we're probably in a world in which we do the double buy in the Big 12. So who knows? I think Oklahoma State shooting for at least a um, not a double buy, but maybe a buy into the quarterfinals. My math is bad. My tournament brain has just been switched off. Since <laughs> um my bracket brand anyways but Oklahoma State you know finishing eighth or higher I think in the big 12 will definitely play I'm of the opinion that the conference will get anywhere from 10 to 12 teams in the NCAA tournament this year I think it's going to be quite a really strong conference and the number might seem high you know on the outset but the the Big 12 got, what, 80% of its teams in last year uh, with Oklahoma State and Texas Tech being alone exceptions um, in the NCAA tournament. Oh, and OU. I guess it wasn't as good of a year. Seven out of ten? Only 70%. Only 70%. So if you subscribe to that theory, uh, eighth, maybe even ninth. I'll go as far as to say ninth. Maybe 20 wins won't get you ninth, but if you're winning 17, 18 games, that should be enough for 19 or for ninth or higher in the, in the Big 12 and hopefully at least a spot in the NCAA tournament as one of those last teams in. Similar question, phrased a little differently for you, Matt, with, you know, seven guys, eight on the roster right now for Kentucky, a lot of youth. What's the percent chance that, you know, it's a boom, that things go well? What's the percent chance that it's a bust and it kind of blows up? I honestly, I'm a little more bullish than others. And that I think it's a high chance that this, this booms just because I, I'd honestly put it at around 70% that this thing could boom and they could, they're still adding players. Uh, another fascinating thing that we really, I'd like to get into at a different show, honestly, is Cal might be adding three players from overtime elite, which really hasn't produced recruits before. So I'm just fascinated to see how those guys go. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think 70% just because again, DJ Wagner seems like, you know, the type of leader that, you want leading your team kind of like a Tyus Jones type, you know, good at facilitating. He's got that dog a little bit too much. Sometimes he had a couple games where the games were ended in massive brawls. Um, yeah. He's, he's a fighter. He's definitely. And I, I do. I like when Kentucky gets some of these East coast guys. I mean, they're from Wagner and Aaron Bradshaw. They're from Camden, New Jersey. Like, doesn't get much tougher than that. So even though Wagner's the son of a, you know, one and done NBA player um, and whose grandpa was also a really good basketball player. So it's not like had the toughest living situation, but I think they've got good freshmen. And if they stay healthy, I mean, they're playing a decent schedule, but other than maybe Kansas, who will get into them eventually as well, uh, and an unnamed ACC opponent in this new horrible ACC SEC challenge. Uh, their schedule isn't really that tough. I mean, they get Gonzaga at home, which no one knows what to expect. And then the SEC is just kind of, there's not as many talented, you know, NBA prospects in it as before. There's a lot of fascinating teams, but if you've got a team full of five, you know, top 20 players coming in, you should be able to, you know, outplay these guys. And at the end of the day, they have to, because otherwise it's going to get really toxic. If toxic, if Kentucky has another uh, short stay in, in the NCAA tournament or even misses it. So I'd say it's a high percent chance of a boom, but 
if they lose the wrong guy here, which I know they're still working on getting more, you know, players just to fill out a roster, then this thing could get ugly. So I'd say 70-30 right now. Because Calvar is still a good coach, despite what the narrative is. Like, there's a reason they win all but – they're in the tournament all but one year in his tenure – or two years. The canceled so, one doesn't count. We can – Yeah, no. They won the SEC by several games that year. Mm-hmm. Matt Hardesty, Lane, and Wirt with me here on the Corner 3. Gentlemen, thanks again for your time. Just preparing you. Next week is going to be the Duke episode. I haven't, you know, laid it on uh, listeners here on the ticket yet. So next Monday, 7 to 8, you guys are in for the Duke hour. Excellent. Can't wait. I'll tell my dad not to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Or do. Educate him. He can just leave it on. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Uh, Landon, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. We'll step aside one last time here on the corner three, wrap things up for the weekend on the other side. Back to the corner three on 93, seven, a ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Just a couple minutes left here on the corner three. Big thanks again to Matt and Landon for joining me. Looking forward to getting those guys input more and more again, as we uh, go through the corner three. All right. Text line question for you. A little bit of trivia. St. John's University, which borough of New York City is it located in? Get back to me with the answer on the text line 402-464-5685. Not sure if I have any prizes to give away yet, but you'll at least get a pat on the back, a high five, something like that, at least virtually. Um, I asked the question. uh, It's relevant because a once and former Nebraska men's basketball target, Simeon Wilcher, ends up committed to St. John's, the Red Storm, of course, coached now by Rick Patino, who made the jaunt down from Iona. Uh, Simeon Wilcher, of course, the brother, younger brother of current Nebraska men's basketball player C.J. Wilcher. Uh, Simeon was at one point committed to North Carolina, uh, but as of earlier this afternoon, he ends up picking St. John's. Was only in the portal for about a week and a half, give or take. Um, in the ESPN 100, uh, Simeon Wilcher ranked number 28 overall uh, for this upcoming class. He's a 6'4 guard out of uh, Roselle Catholic in New Jersey. Uh, that's only about 40 miles, give or take, from where St. John's plays. And I think that's a, a big pickup for Rick Bettino, who's back at it again. I mean, that's what Slick Rick was uh, good at doing at Louisville, getting getting you know, highly rated players in, getting the most of them. I, I like Simeon Wilcher's play style as well. I think he's good at getting downhill. You know, he can always work on the jump shot as a, a college player. C.J. Wilcher, a great spot-up shooter. I think Simeon's a little more dynamic with the ball in his hands. And I'm curious to see if Rick Pitino you know, continues to, to push the tempo. I think that would be good uh, for a player of Simeon Wilcher's caliber. Um, sounds like it wasn't overly surprising that he ended up committing to St. John's after his North Carolina decommitment. Uh, Wilcher visited St. John's uh, late last week. I think he was there Thursday or Friday. And then just today makes it official. Simeon Wilcher will not be coming to Nebraska, still wearing red at St. John's. Um, It'll be interesting, too, to monitor uh, the C.J. Wilcher situation. What does his role become for Nebraska basketball this season? Don't forget, C.J. already transferred once. He started out at Xavier played there as a freshman before transferring in to Nebraska. I wouldn't be surprised to, to hear or to know that there was at least some familial pull between CJ to younger brother, trying to get him to come to Nebraska. I think the Huskers did what they could to, to pull him to Lincoln, uh, but ultimately not enough. Simeon Wilcher headed 
to St. John's. That'll put a bow on this edition here of the corner three. Thanks again to Matt and Landon. Uh, we'll be back next week from seven to eight on Monday. Again, that'll be the Duke basketball hour. For those of you that want to know more about my Duke fan and my thoughts on the team, we'll go through that. That's the, the beauty of having my own show, you know, on these airwaves as I get to pick the content. And since you all love me, you listen regardless of what I'm talking about. No, just kidding. Appreciate you guys tuning in uh, on the stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. If you liked what you heard, Give it a like, give it a thumbs up, and definitely subscribe to 93.7 The Ticket on all those platforms. It's free to you. It goes a long way in helping us uh, continue to grow. So again, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Uh, I know all of us here at The Ticket really appreciate it. For Matt and Landon, I'm Austin, talking to you here from 93.7 The Ticket. Stick around, though. More Ticket Weeknights comes your way next. I think we got VJ in the building uh, for an hour.